Alrighty, g'day guys and welcome back to another episode of the Bradley J Driver Experience. We're here for, I believe, episode 57 and we're so excited to be here. I want to say, whether this be the first or one of many that you're tuning into, thank you so much to you guys, the audience that keeps this show alive and thriving and you can continue to show your support by hitting the all-important follow or subscribe button, leaving a five-star rating and a raving review on Apple Podcast app. If you share this with just one or a few friends, this grows, it grows out of proportion, and that's what we want. The whole aim of this podcast is to inspire you to pursue purpose and overcome adversity in life. The more people that are listening, the more people we have the chance to change our lives. Today's guest is going to do that. He's doing that. An incredible human being with an incredible story. One thing I love is I love connecting with people who are hometown heroes. We're here in the gong. It's always nice to connect with people in our own backyard. But doing something that has far greater reach than that, this story is one that will tug at the heartstrings. It'll really make you sit back and think about what positive impact you can have in your life and definitely appreciate the positive impact that these guys are having. I'm sitting here with a co-founder of Forever Projects, which we're going to talk about in great depths today. Ladies and gentlemen, give a warm welcome from your home, your car, or wherever you are to the incredible Mark Domkins. How are you, mate? Brad, I'm fantastic, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. And it's uh, made of all days, two days after your big marathon. Congrats. Cheers, mate. Thank you. I love watching that online, and um, I'm surprised how amazingly radiant you look, given what your body's gone through. It could have had something to do with like the Maccas, the Chicos, the pizzas. Oh, Chicos. Just all the feel-good food. Yeah. All the feel-good food. Anyone but... who's going to run a marathon, I'm sure, Chicos at the other end, not at the front end. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. But mate, it's, like, it's a pleasure to have you here. We connected. One thing I love, and this is a really good point for any of the audience, is we connected through a guest suggestion. So I hadn't quite heard of your story yet. And a fellow that I used to work with, Matt Ball, sent yeah. me a message and he said, mate, I'm loving the content. Do you mind if I send you a suggestion? I was like, I'm all for it. And the thing I say to people all the time is I take a lot of pride in, in the guests that I have on the show. I want to connect with their story and I want to believe in what they're doing. Mm. And I sat there and he sent me that, that information and I watched that little video and I thought, this is right up my alley mm. because you're doing some incredible things. And we'll go into depth today and explain what Forever Projects does, where it all started. But give us a little bit of an insight into you. Have you always been here in the goal? Yeah, so... Home. Yep, born born in Fig Tree, born in yep. Halisa Avenue, Fig Tree. Yep, my dad worked with um, BHP yep. all his life, so um, grew up in Fig Tree and then spent a bit of time in Newcastle. Dad got moved up there when we was when I was seven, um, and then we moved back when uh, I was in year eight and uh, started at Fig Tree High School. So, but yeah, wow. dad's been with BHP Blue Scope all his life and uh, now retired. But yeah, local local boy. So. Can I ask, like mm. being at Figgy High School as a young fella, you obviously have career aspirations, goals, drive. Yeah. Did any of that look like where you are now? Oh, it's such a good question. I I think at that stage, and I remember having conversations with my dad about this, you know, when you're doing your, your work experience in year 10, and he's like, well, you love working with numbers, you love maths, maybe accounting might be a thing. So like that, I'm like, all right, that'll do. Yeah. So I started off thinking I was going to be an accountant, but um, I think at that age, you just kind of, all right, here's an exam, here's this, here's that, you just kind of follow the next thing. But we don't really know what it is that we're going to do. Certainly yeah. nothing like what we've, where I've ended up. Um, but I would imagine the values that I had in my kind of intuition 
would have been yeah. consistent back then with, with where I am now. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I feel like it's almost that, do you feel like there's almost a purpose driven approach to life where you always wanted to make bigger impact than just the, the personal things that you were doing? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, and I've been reflecting on this just, uh, like in the lead up to this chat and just hearing your story and, uh, thinking about like, so, so my mum, um, huge influence in my life. She, she passed away in 2016, but she, she had, yeah, she had a long battle with breast cancer and eventually bone cancer. And, uh, it was actually the year that we moved to back to Wollongong and in year eight at Victory High School when she was diagnosed with, with breast cancer, uh, for the second time in 1991, she'd had a, a lumpectomy. And then three years later when I was in year eight, um, first diagnosis with breast cancer and had a mastectomy. And, uh, so I remember going up after school with dad and my sister to visit her at the hospital at St. George and, um, and then seeing how she resiliently, you know, turned those lemons into lemonade and then recognized the care she'd received from women in that cancer carers community. And then she went on to, with a, an amazing group of women, kind of lead care for other women in that community. Yeah, yeah. And I think as I reflect on my life and reflect back to where I am, I think just by osmosis, just being around her and watching that evolve over decades um, has really shaped who I am, yeah. That's really lovely to mm. hear, mate. And yeah. obviously what you're doing now has huge impact. And, you know, you touched on it before, what we've just done on the weekend. The proudest thing for me was to feel like I'd done something that was bigger than myself. Yeah. It wasn't just about me. It was about what that meant to so many people. Mm. And, you know, we we sit and I've, I've got a good friend of mine, Joe Plum, who was a guest on the podcast. And we sat back on episode three and reflected on his time in Ghana. And so Joe's dad is is Ghanese and he spent an extended period of time there in 2019 just experiencing the culture and experiencing what it was like to live in that in that region and we spoke about it on a run the other day we're speaking about mindset and Mm. and, you know what it means just to keep going on you Mm -hmm. know what I mean keep keeping on when times are tough and just what it takes to unlock that sort Mm. of potential in your mindset to Mm. see past your current circumstances yep and life is not as easy over there as it is in Australia. We no. have it pretty lucky here. And yeah. I think we don't realize how blessed we are until we experience that. Mm. For you to be doing so much work within those communities and doing something that makes such a difference there, where did that all begin? Mm. Yeah, so we, uh, our, our connection at Forever Project, so our mission as an organization is to, uh, like we imagine a future where every human can provide for their own family. And we're a fundraising community that empower Tanzanian teams to uh, get alongside women and empower them in some of the world's most, you know, as you've just shared, challenging circumstances to, to live with dignity and hope. Um, and and that, that story really connects into our family story. So back in 2010, um, I, was, I was married, had two, two biological children, Jackson and Jemima, they were four and one. I was living up at Cromwell Street. Yeah. Um, you know, used to push the pram down to leave me for, How good. you know, steal half an hour coffee with you when the kids were asleep. And I was teaching maths at TIGS at the time. Yep. Um, but for, for a couple of years, my wife and I had this real um, strong belief and kind of draw to open our family up to kids who didn't have a family of their own. Um, and that, that kind of, that, that first moment, I think we were sitting on the couch like we are now, watching telly now, six month old was, you know, sleeping soundly near us. And um, we were watching this doco about, uh, an orphanage in China and these children had been abandoned and were just kind of left to die in this room and these volunteers had snuck in um, like video, you know, like, not, not GoPro but like a video in that just kind of exposed the human rights abuses, abuses that were going on and we're watching this back in what would have been 2000 
in 2007, I guess, um, wow. 2006, and, and just one eye on the telly, one eye on our son sleeping soundly, knowing that if any of our parents came in for a visit, they'd be pushing the other one out of the way to get to him first and hear yeah. these kids. And so that, that moment was just a seed that was planted in both of our hearts. We were like, let's, let's be open to being a family that will, yeah, invite kids in who don't have one. Um, and then a couple of years through, you know, just wrestling with what that might look like, maybe domestic adoption. Um, we ended up enrolling in the Australian Intercountry Adoption Program um, through, through docs, and now that's facts. Um, but that process was full of red tape, and I don't know if you know anything about that process, but it's, it's not great. Um, yeah. A couple of years into it, they, in, they just kind of drew the line and said, look, this program's going to pause indefinitely. They, they weren't confident with the integrity of the program overseas, but there was no real updates or transparency. And we're like, this is something we've cared about for a couple of years now. We've been in this pro- process, and now it's just ended. Um, are we just going to accept that? And, you know, we had a great life. No, no, no doubt, no shadow of a doubt. But, or is this something we're going to pursue and kick the door down and actually really make happen? Um, and start of 2010, I remember walking down at Belmore Basin with my wife and uh, New Year's 2010, and she just out of the blue says, if we really want to do this, let's just move to Africa. Just out yeah. of the blue. And, uh, and but... Th- that that had been that seed had been kind of in my heart and really you know growing and um and I'd over that, that summer been wrestling with um, that idea of our life as a story. I read a great book about that and uh, I, lo- I love hearing like the the common thread and all the stuff you're talking about in your podcast is this such great stories. And this guy, so his name is Donald Miller, and he said a story is about a character who wants something but has to overcome conflict to get it. I love that. And if there's no conflict, there's no story. You know? I love that. And I think hearing your story and, and, and you, you could kind of see a story maybe where there was some adversity, some conflict, but you, you thought, no, nah, actually the real life is over here. And, you know, you haven't made life easy for yourself, but you've actually entered into a story that's richer and, um, and mate, people are, people are engaged with. So I think that, that Powerful, quote, yeah, that, that was already kind of, you know, nourishing my heart. And I think when she shared... She invited me into a story. I'm like, let's go. So How exciting is that? Yeah. So you have that idea. You've been invited into that story. And, and how do you pick the region? Like, how do you pick the country? Yeah. How do you pick the specifics of it? Because Africa as a whole has yeah. this crisis throughout. Mm. Um, obviously, some communities, communities are affected more than others. Yep. Was there any particular ties to Tanzania? Was there yeah. anything that you felt like they needed it more than the other countries there for that particular time? Yeah, it was really pragmatic, to be honest. It was, yeah. um, so number one, obviously, if we're going to move our kids over to, to Africa, yeah. I mean, you know, think about telling that to your parents. Yeah. Well, it was, that's a whole other story, and you know, we've gotten over it, but taking your grandkids to, to Africa. So it yeah. um, had to be safe, had to be a country where if we were to... Um, foster and adopt children that we'd obviously be able to um, immigrate them back and that, yeah. know, as, a, as a family um, had to be a place where we could work because it, it would take years to, to navigate through it and not a math teacher by trade so um, so all those things and, and, and above all uh, we had to be 100% confident that the process by which these children had no other option for a family um, was legit you know, we strongly believe that the best place for a child is their biological relatives and that at all costs that should be maintained, but in the cases where that sadly isn't possible, adoption or foster care is, is, is the next best thing. So, um, so we, 
found an organization in Tanzania before we'd even moved. Once we yeah. ticked those other boxes in terms of safety and logistics with immigration and so on. Uh, and there's an organization called Forever Angels Baby Home uh, in Western Tanzania that we really align with in that kind of value of, yeah. of preservation of family and, and yeah, adoption being a last resort. So we, we moved to Tanzania and with this organization um, particularly in mind. And that was mid-2010 when we moved. Yeah. So one thing that I take from that is you said, and I could get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure I remember watching your story back and reading into it a little bit. You spoke about adoption. You spoke about this idea of adopting a child mm, yeah. and coming home. Yeah. Um, we just had a little bit of a chat off camera before. Yeah. And you've got a lot going on at home these days. We've got six. Six. Yeah. And so you've got three biological and three adopted. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So... So how did that evolve? Obviously, it's almost like you you know you go over there and you see these kids and they're so connected. Was it was it a matter of adopting siblings or was yeah. it a, okay? Siblings, yeah. So we felt strongly about uh, we we're very happy to have a big family, uh, and and so Brady bunch vibes, hey? <laughs> that's right. Stick us on the Zoom screen. Yeah, that's it. All the faces. Um, yeah, but we we when we um, first engaged with through the social welfare process in Tanzania. We made it clear that we are open to adopting siblings, yeah. Uh, and so these these three kids who are now our adopted children um, were biological siblings, twins, and an older brother uh, who didn't have any other option for a family. So, so we moved there in mid uh, mid twenty ten and immediately started in that um, Tanzanian social welfare process and started their foster process at the end of that year. So, mate, at the end of twenty ten, we had a four year old and four one year olds in East wow. Africa and juggling full time work, and it was it was manic. That's um, insane. Yeah, and then years later, moved home and had a surprise sixth kid. So our little one, Max, is he's uh, he's, he's an absolute champion, but it's uh, yeah, it's a handful. It's crazy <laughs> how it works, hey. Yeah. Talk to me, like obviously being over there and experiencing it. So you had the plan to go over there and adopt and, mm -hmm. and change a few children's life, mm. but you're there, you're experiencing it, mm. you're seeing that this issue is bigger than. Mm -hmm. Like you can't adopt all of the children, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think from reading the literature, there's over three million orphans mm -hmm. in Tanzania. Yep. Yep. Tanzania alone. When yeah. does it then sort of hit you that okay, this is bigger than mm. what we can do? Mm. We need to do something more. Yeah, I think that. I mean, we remember that day that we left the baby home with our three children, starting the foster process, and seeing fifty-seven other kids, you know, who weren't going to a family, and as you just said, like three million others. In the country in that same Break situation your heart, right yeah and just and just going ours had a had their chance for a family but what about these others and and uh what what was the systemic problem that meant that these mums couldn't care for their own kids and in our own kids story thinking about like, what would need to have changed in their biological mother's story so that they she could have cared for them and, and kept them you know uh and and luckily for us you know so again you think about story like thrust into a new story thinking about what about this issue? How can we be a contribution to that problem? Um, and the, in every story, there's a guide. And for us, yeah. it was the organisation we'd adopted through. They, they, as I said, felt really strongly about that. Um, there's an amazing friend of ours, Amy. She started the organisation in 2006 and um, has an amazing team of local um, Tanzanian staff who care about this issue and, and seeing kids connected with families. And, and so they started experimenting with how can we intervene earlier on in the, in the crisis situation for a family so that, um, for example, I'm going to tell you a story to kind of make how that would yeah, work. Go. And they started 
experimenting with this. So I was in, in 2012, they started um, working with families in the community where kids were malnourished but not abandoned yet. So there was uh, a lady named Lucia and she'd given birth to this little boy named Adamu, but she had tuberculosis and she, she was too sick to lactate. Yeah. And so he was losing weight. Um, now in Australia, like the alternative for a mum who can't provide breast milk would be a tin of formula milk. Uh, go down to Woolies around the corner and it costs you 25 bucks, maybe 30 bucks. Yeah. I'm sure it's gone up since I had, I had kids. Um, but in Tanzania, one tin of formula milk costs you a whole week's wage for an average Tanzanian. Wow. So it'd be like for an Aussie going to Woolworths, seeing that price tag on the tin, $1,100 for us, which is just yeah, wow. unaffordable for one tin. It wouldn't even last the whole week. And so Lucy's in a situation where she wants to keep her son, Adamu, but can't because she can't afford the alternative nutrition. So at that point, this team intervened, providing the nutrition he needs. Um, and then thinking longer term, how can they set up and empower um, Lucia so that she can start a small business, providing an income for Adamu, and that way, uh, once he's weaned and off, off the, off the um, more on the solid foods, she can have that dignity of, having an income and providing for his own needs without any further handouts. And so they uh, trained her as a seamstress, gave her capital for a sewing machine. She starts selling clothes at the market. And, uh, and that family, they're, they're intact. Biological relatives That's together. amazing. Um, and so we started to see these stories um, evolving through this amazing organization's work. And we're like, we're gonna be part of this, you know? And, and our friends and family back in Wollongong in Australia, obviously they're like asking about, similar to your story, like, all right, we care about this through you. We care about this as well. What can we do to be involved? Um, so that that point in our stories, we're like, all right, we've got to start building a community of funders to back this team so that they can have two eyes on the work and scale it up. Yeah. I love the way that you've looked at it systematically, though. And I feel like that's one thing that... That's probably the one thing that you can criticise in a lot of the way that mm. a lot of charities approach um, the issues at mm -hmm. hand. Mm. is it's more surface level as opposed to systematic. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have the real change, where you're actually changing yeah. the behaviours and the lifestyle that allows them to sort of overcome and resolve these issues before they arise. Yeah. What does it feel like when you first start to experience, you've got your hands in the game now, yeah. and you first see that experience and that personal story of a mm. mother being able to provide for her kids? I can imagine yeah. it's just life-changing. Yeah, and... and, and you know, living there and, and then having, you know, gone back over, over time and seeing not just, okay, uh, this family got to this particular position, but five years later, still together and thriving. Um, yeah. and, and the team, um, obviously our, our currency as Forever Projects is stories. We yeah. love sharing stories with anyone who will donate to our, you know, part of our fundraising community and, and to connect them with the impact of what they've done. And so we have the thrill of uh, being able to hear stories from naming all the local teams um, in Tanzania and then, yeah, curating those in a way that our donors can go, wow, you know, I gave, you know, someone ran a marathon or a half marathon or climbed a mountain or whatever else and they invited people to donate to them to, for yeah. projects and then they, six months later, hear a story of, here's Lucia or here's Shakuru and here's what your generosity and that person's bravery has, has done. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, but, but I think... One of the podcasts I heard, I've loved listening to, to your stuff. I appreciate it. Yeah, and one of them you were talking about the, the cycles of when we're, when we're trying to create change. It's not like we can just see from A to B. We see, you know, what's the next thing? And we just iterate. And, incremental steps. Yeah, and for us it was, I don't know, we've got a shared love of Lee and me and the guys down there. Yeah. And um, I think our first step into that 
story was having heard stories like Lucia's and, and others were like, how do we engage and invite our community back home to, to get involved? So uh, I came back with my eldest son on a visit in 2012 and we thought, my brother-in-law's just had a 30th at Lee and me. We're good mates with Lee and Ben and Amy and Shay. Let's ask them if we can just borrow the cafe for a night and run a fundraiser, but we'll do it with a bit of a twist. So we invited 60 friends and family, mid-2012. And, um, and we thought, let's not just do this, this same old thing of hustling people or making them feel guilty or obliged. Let's in- yeah. inspire them, you know, let's invite them. So we, um, my, my co-founder, Ben, is an amazing creative. Um, he got involved. He's living back here, obviously. And we hung this, photog- this photography and these stories in the walls of the cafe upstairs and down, all the way yeah. up the stairway there, that steep stairway. And uh, these were stories of Lucia's and others. And it was stories of what the sewing machine had done or to, to empower them, you know. And then we just invited the guests to enjoy some, you know, Lee and the guys put all the food on for free. Amazing. Uh, and just our guests just wandered around the cafe at night, throughout yeah. the night, engaged with the stories and then just donated as they felt inspired to. And they knew I was going to take every cent back to Tanzania. So that night they gave 16 grand. Wow. Um, that's that's incredible. Oh, it was so cool. And then just they knew I was taking it back because... Like there was such such trust there, uh, and then the best part was taking that back, giving it to the team, and saying, you know, obviously this isn't us doing the work. This is the Tanzanian team yeah. of, of the baby home we'd adopted through, um, and they continued to iterate their project. And then one year later, we came back for another visit, another event at Lee and Me, but this time the story in the walls were where the sixteen k went. And so guests wandering around who'd been there twelve months beforehand, reading a story and thinking, I remember I was just standing here at the top of the stairway near the toilet at Lee Me, reading a story and here I am now, 12 months later, being connected with where that money went. And understanding how much change they've inspired. Yeah. Like that story was possible through through them, through their contribution of generosity and partnership with Tanzanian teams who know their people and know these problems better than us. But that, that's beautiful partnership of a global community raising funds and doing the work. So that, that annual cycle of fundraising while we were still living overseas was, I think what gave us the idea that and this could be bigger than an annual thing let's really scale it up yeah it's it's funny isn't it the power of a story and mm. it seems that is really the the key language to everything that you mm. do and you can even you know go across your socials and for anyone listening go and check out forever projects on instagram check their website out it is very story based mm. and it's it's really nice to look through and to watch and yeah. it's actually a really pleasant social mm. media page to follow because there's so much good stuff going in and it really tells a tale of the work that you guys are doing mm. there. Where does it then expand and grow? Because mm. it's hard with charitable organisation, yeah. right? There's, yep. There is only so much that you can do. There's mm. only so much you can do from here yep. um, without being there in those communities. How do you consistently grow this and, and branch out mm. and create new idea to inspire new change? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's, um, we really strongly believe that you know, this, there's so many great causes. There's so many great purpose-driven opportunities for people to be involved in. So, and there's people are missing out if they're not being generous, right? Mm. Um, so I think starting with going, this, this particular cause doesn't need to be for everyone, but we're going to delight and talk to the people who see the world the way we do um, and, and, and not try and be too general, but just really niche. Um, and then I think just that commitment to going, well, what's worked has been telling true stories, not using guilt or obligation and saying, look, this child's going to starve unless you stop drinking coffee yeah. or but like in invitation instead, invitation into um, purpose and generosity and, and um, 
yeah, and so I remember at the end of 2014, we ran our third annual event at Lean Me. Uh, another successful event. I think we'd raised 50K in three years. And I remember at the end of the night uh, chatting with Katie, who, um, I don't know if you remember Katie, she was one of the managers at Lean Me and used to work at the old His Boy up at um, Globe Lane before yeah, I moved. Yeah, the name is well, yeah. And, um, and absolute legend. And she said, what are you going to do next year with this, Mark? You know, like you guys have moved home. It's got some real potential. And, and at that stage... Amy in Tanzania had just shared a bigger vision with us about this project not just being contained to the city that we'd adopted our kids through, but other cities in Tanzania. And yeah. So I, there was there was vision in Tanzania, and then there was this invitation from Kata to go, what else? And, uh, and she said, I know the guys, um, you know, Ben and Bao and Adam at yours and ours. Why don't we have a chat and see if there's some way you can do something like this at a larger scale with them? Yeah. And so... and. It'd be awesome to get those guys. Like, here's you know, a listener suggestion. Yeah. If you can get those guys on here, they that they are so generous, so creative. Talk about resilience. Um, and if anyone's listening to this and you're not from Wollongong, yours sorry. and ours is a, is a huge festival here in our area. That really brings a lot of the local community mm. together, doesn't it? it does. Yeah. So that yeah, was... started with that similar thing to, to all this, right? Started with the with the rad bar up the road. Yeah. And then just being generous, creative delighting an audience adding value and just noticing it and iterating um yeah so early 2015 those guys were generous enough to share some time again caught up at Lee and me and um and they just trusted us and said yep we love what you're doing we love the cause we love the way you're using creativity and story to invite people we've got the festival in october long weekend at, at Stuart park if you guys want to do an art installation and we're like How is that? sure Let's do it. And then after the meeting, I'm recalling my co-founder Ben and going, "What are we going to do? <laughs> I'm a math teacher, you know." Yeah. And I, and at this stage, Ben, Get the crayons out. Yeah, like I don't know, like my, I mean, it'd be embarrassing to share my ideas, my yeah. for that. But um, but I knew at that stage Ben had been engaged with the um, with the fundraisers and done such amazing creative work to you know make those stories compelling in the walls of Lee and me. But what's it look like? What are the walls of yours and ours? You know, and, and what could we do there? So. Uh, knowing I've got to get him to Tanzania so he as a creative can just like you know breathe in the dust and walk the streets and just yeah and see the work up close and just trust that that would be a good decision so I remember sitting down we just had our sixth kid sitting down with my wife in the living room and sometime in 2015 saying I think it's a good idea to take Ben to Tanzania for two weeks leave you here with six kids and um, we'll pay for it and then we'll do an art installation at yours and ours and if there's any downside financially, we'll, we'll wear it. Yeah. How's that sound? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember that moment being like probably one of the key moments in the story where it could have gone, she could have rightly said, it's a great idea, I'll back it, but like we just had a sixth kid. Yeah. You know, we just moved home. But she's like, go for it. How hard is it? You know, I, th- I think for me personally, a question I got a lot when I quit my job mm. was how hard is it to walk away from financial security? Mm consistency routine yeah to chase something that you can't quite see or Mm. feel yet Mm. and for me it was it was never a question of being tough it was just purpose driven Mm. was it similar for you guys yeah well i've thought about this a lot actually because it's uh you know when i hear stories of of people creating change and and moving from this particular profession to something that uh, not that they're not that they weren't passionate about that, but just that that feels like they're calling, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess we already had six children when this really started to present as a possibility and an opportunity. And so I had to make sure it wasn't going to, um, you know, 
our, our priority is our family and our, and our kids. And so this pursuit of Forever Projects couldn't be at the cost of, of us as a family. family. Yeah. Um, and so, so it, and that can, you could, people could look at that and see as a constraint, but I've learned over time and, and through some um, connections with some great programs and leaders and courses to realize constraints actually make our work more effective if we allow them to, um, if we make them beautiful and look at ways to flip them. And so that, that for us has really been, um, I've got to keep pulling a wage uh, from, from teaching. And I worked full time as a math teacher until the end of last year. Um, while wow. projects was on the side, but and then this year's just the first year I've jumped in part time um, and dropped part time teaching. But the whole time that's been uh, through number one, making sure, as I said, Ben, our creative director, is um, able to see and understand the work and and have the resources he needs and the time. And the, um, you know, because he loves the work, but he's got to get um, he's got to make a living as well. Yeah. And so it's been really through working through other people and building a team and. Yeah, culture in that way that I think uh, it's gotten to the point where it can justify me jumping in as yeah. I have this year and um, yeah so I don't know if that answers the question but just I, I think every person has a different life situation where they've got to go okay this is what I want and, and you know I would have jumped out of teaching full time um, like I love teaching math classes and I uh, it's, 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 it's definitely still a passion but if, if money wasn't the problem I would have just gone yeah sure let's just, let's just go for it Actually, on that yeah. note, I got a message the other day from Ross Sharp. Ross, yes, yeah, I and he said, he said, "Tell him he's a legend." Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. So, so I, I um, yeah, taught Ross. When was that? That would have been. He was in year seven. Great cricketer and hockey player. Yeah, he's a good yeah. bloke, Ross. He's just yeah. over in Colorado now. Yeah, right. Yeah, shout out to Ross. He hey, was Ross. listening. He said he's going to tune in. Mate, good to good to good to imagine you listening, and uh, let's yeah. catch up next time you're back. He's a legend. Yeah, and, legend. and, and Ross's mum's a brilliant educator. She's um. Works at a school down in Calderwood now and just is ripping it up. So, yeah, yeah Mel's, Mel's fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. One thing I took from that there is just I feel like I feel like a sook for sitting here now on five hours sleep in the last two days yeah. thinking, I'm a little bit tired. And I'm like, you're teaching full time. You've got six kids and you're running this. How do you manage? Like, how do you grow as a person through all mm. of that? Because I think there's exceptional growth there, right? When mm. you come out the other side of that and especially probably been a lot of reflection for you this year mm-hmm. now that you're not teaching anymore mm-hmm. you've got that time that's dedicated purely to what really sets your soul on fire mm-hmm. with forever projects yeah do you look back at that and go what an amazing growth period of my life yeah no i mean i i, I look back at that and think sometimes you know and, and ben would be the same because there was a, a while where he was um yeah working on this with he's got two kids as well um so there's times where we've had to, and we're like, we're great friends. So Ben and his wife, Jem, and my wife, Anna, and I are great friends. So we've had really honest conversations over the years of this This can't break our marriages. This can't break our, you know, yeah. our, our relationships with our kids. And there's times where, um, you know, like we can say, I need to tap out for a bit here or one of the yeah. others, you know. So it, it's not been easy. Um, but I think having that true north of going, this, this has to be sustainable. This can't be something that's going to break us as people because uh, that's that you know building something for a moment doesn't help anything really um yeah so i think that's probably been the, the true north that we've needed to keep coming back to and just go all right we can kind of see the future where this could be more sustainable um how do we kind of get there one step at a time and, and i think playing that you know we both love gary v yeah i love his stuff and he talks about um 
the, the short-term thinkers think he's an idiot because he plays such a long game, long-term game, and mm. the value he's creating, people might think, why aren't you hustling for, for a short-term win? But he sees so far in the future, and I think that's, um, that's something we've tried to do as well. You know, just Rome wasn't built in a day. Is it hard for you to do that at times? Yeah. I think when, I think when you can see, um, you know, with 10 hours of your time, what you think you could create and the change you could make, but then knowing that that 10 hours can't pay for at the moment. So, yeah. you know, um, yeah, but that, again, it comes back to that constraint thing, just being patient and um, pushing through it. Yeah. So. Have, you, have you surprised yourself in any regard? Like I say all the time, to use the running as a reference and an example, I remember running for the first week, which was early July. Mm-hmm. I hadn't run for six years. I remember running a 5K and I was absolutely gassed. <laughs> Yeah. And I went back the second week, same thing. Third week, they said, come and run two this week. So I ran a 5K on the Sunday mm-hmm. and a five on the Wednesday. And I've never been so sore in my life. <laughs> like I thought I couldn't move. And I remember the boys had run a half marathon that Wednesday night. And I'm thinking... You know what's all a bit confusing and scary? Buying your first home and getting your first loan approved. You see, I'm 24 and I bought my first property last year. Even as an agent at the time, there was so much I didn't know about finance because we aren't taught these things at school. You see, I'm blessed now because one of my best mates, Zachary Bidoff, is a mortgage broker. And now that I'm self-employed, I have to be smarter with my money. So I sat down with Zach to refinance my loan and to get the absolute best deal I could. And it's saving me money every week. You see, the great thing about Zach is he's 28 years old, super relatable, and he knows everything you need to about buying your first property. So whether it's pre-approval or refinancing that you need, head across to ZacharyBidoff.com or find the link in the show notes. Now you may be hearing that and wondering, well once I've identified the right property, what do I do? If it's a house that you've found, it's important you know the ins and outs of the property. A few issues can quickly add up, leaving you well over budget with a ton of work to do. To ensure that's not the case, it's advised that you seek the professional opinion of a building and pest inspector. Greg and Sharon Flood are the owners of Inspect Wollongong. Their job to provide you with a building and pest report, identifying the good and the bad in each property, and giving you the necessary advice to move forward. Keen property investors themselves, Greg and Sharon love helping anyone who's keen to get into the market. And it all begins with a home that will stand the test of time. Get in touch with Inspect Wollongong via the contact details in the show notes. While we're on the property train, it's a great opportunity to talk about my next sponsor. If you're looking at purchasing an apartment or selling one, you may be familiar with the idea of a strata report. It's the document that outlines all the good, the bad and the ugly within the body corporate's financial plans and all the issues that need to be addressed before you put pen to paper on a sales contract. But how do you organise that and who does it for you? Well, that's where Coastal Strata comes in. They are your go-to service in New South Wales, providing reports, bylaws and renovation approvals. For all their services, head to coastalstrata.com.au or find the link in the show notes. I'm a half marathon on a Wednesday night and I couldn't wrap my head around the idea of how my body was going to progress because it just didn't feel like it was going to. Mm -hmm. And funnily enough, it was only two weeks later after a bleed in the lungs, mm, which makes no sense. But to go out and run seven and a half Ks and then back it up the next day and 
start building, building, mm. building, building, and mm. all of a sudden you're running 20Ks on a Wednesday morning and you're yeah. looking back thinking, man, I couldn't do two 5Ks in a week. Yeah. Yeah. I just done this. But for me, and, and it's what I said throughout the whole training camp, was I feel like progress was driven by purpose. Mm. And mm-hmm. it just, you find something else within you mm-hmm. that just allows you to level up yeah. and just take it to the next level, take it the next step yeah. and just keep pushing when you're tired and when yeah. you don't feel like doing it. It's almost like, it's not motivation. I don't even think it's discipline. Mm. It's just you know why you're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many of those moments did you have throughout the course of it where you look back and go, how have we done this? Yeah, there's, there's, it's like climbing a mountain, isn't it? Where you, you know, you look back down, you just take a moment to catch your breath and look over your shoulder and go, wow, mm. where we started was that tree. It was the tree was hovering over our heads, and now look at it. It's like, and it looks so small, but at the so, moment, that yeah. time it seems so big. Yeah, yeah. I think there's definitely moments along the way like that um, where you just, and and that's the discipline in itself, right? To stop and go. And I, I think I'm actually like that point at the moment where it's you know been a big year, 2020, and just to go. Um, Naturally, you want to keep going, right? What else can we push forward to finish off the year? But it's, it, we just celebrated some great milestones and just to stop and go, let's just celebrate that. Um, yeah, and, and, and just think 2021 will come around. Yeah. Get into it and, and just have that long, yeah, that long-term mindset. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think, I think probably the other thing uh, that, that's, that's definitely helped in this process has been um, having... Having a yeah, vision for where we want to go, but also looking around at who are some other people that are, are leading in, in this kind of way and, and what can we learn from watching them for yeah. like five, ten years down the track. And uh, there was an organization that we connected with about five years ago, just through podcasts like this. Um, a guy named Scott Harrison runs an organization called Charity Water based out of the US. And okay. they exist to bring clean, safe drinking water to everyone on the planet. Um, and amazing story. I'll flick you the link later for his, his yeah, story. Yeah, Basically, they, they recognized that people cared about the water problem, but they were skeptical of charity. And so he innovated on the business model and said, well, let's create two bank accounts. One bank account will be where um, we'll draw funds from for operational costs you know, in the US, paying wages, photocopying, yeah. whatever else. And the second bank account will be where donations from the public go. And every cent from that will go to the projects. And he, he found donors for the first bucket so that he could look the eye, look in the eye of every donor in the second bucket and say 100% of your money is going yeah. to where we, where we care about. And so we saw that and thought, all right, 2017, we've got some runs on the board. Let's create that same business model. Um, so we, that, that 60 people at Lee and me that we you know, shared yeah. in 2012, we invited them back in 2017. And having had a, done the Yours and Alice Festival a couple of times, starting to see the community grow and said, would you guys fund this bucket so that we can then say to every other donor, you know, if you give a hundred bucks, we lose two hundred two dollars eighty five cents to e commerce, um, yeah. to Stripe. But you you make that up so that the donor knows a hundred bucks in line Go went straight to the cause, and they did. So that was the that was what built some sustainability into what yeah. we've done. And so we've got fifty eight members of that community at the moment who who fund our Aussie costs. Yeah. Um, and that means when we do events and fundraisers and people give monthly, all that money goes to Tanzania. Um, yeah, and that that's made a massive difference. I remember that in tw- that was March twenty seventeen. About a month or so after that, we recognised the team on the ground had this old four-wheel drive that was just, you know, breaking down, and it was it was an obstacle to yeah. their story. And we're like, let's just tell our community we need thirty grand for a new car, and let's tell them because of this new business model, one hundred percent of it's going to go. So we just said, we need 
you know, 60 of you to give, or 600 of you to give 50 bucks. Yeah. We don't care how you find it or how you do it. Um, but 100% of it's going, let's go. And in six weeks, we raised it. And, um, and then we were in Tanzania shortly after that. And we, we put the name, stickers of the name of everyone who donated on the car. So now when the car's going around visiting the families, the name of every donor, whether they give 10 bucks or 10, 10 grand, is on the car as a way to connect and say, you know, you're there with the team as they're, as they're doing it. Can I ask, like, mm. this is also fascinating to me. And I think just because I've been through the recent mm. thing of raising money mm-hmm. and, and sort of dr- trying to get people involved in that story and I feel like they're a part of it, mm. which always helps. Mm-hmm. It's just fascinating to me how you've built this and how you've built it. It's hard because when people, you know, I think one of the benefits I had with my recent fundraising drive was people here were seeing me. Mm-hmm. They were seeing me out running. They were seeing, you know what I mean, me yeah. after a long run or they got to see me on Instagram when I wasn't feeling too well or yeah. I was in hospital and yeah. there was that personal connection. Mm-hmm. Is it harder to sell that story when it feels like such a world away? Mm. Like they can't touch it, they can't see mm. it. They can only see from the perspective of a lens or mm-hmm. from what they're being told. Mm. Is that hard? Well, I think linking to your story, I think one of the things Scott that I mentioned before, the guy from Charity Water says is people give to people more than causes. Mm. And so if you were running, weren't running for cystic fibrosis, but you were running for another really important cause, let's say there was something else that had affected your health that meant something to you, you still would have raised the same amount because it's you being brave and generous and leading a tribe and people backing you yeah. as you care about this thing. It's a really you know, great point, Before you, you know, turn on the cameras, you, you talked about picturing an eight-year-old kid who has CF and who sees you finish a marathon and that that's what drives you. Yeah. And that, that intent of yours is what has obviously come out as you shared your story and on different platforms and people see that generosity and bravery and are giving to that. Yeah. And so I think from our perspective, it's the same thing that certainly for us as a family, um, people trusted and believed in the cause through our family's journey. But we've now seen, we've got this mantra in our forever projects. We say, what's in your hands? We believe everyone's got something in their hands, whether it's time, talent, money to, to use for good and to yeah. leverage. And so when I was sharing about that um, four wheel drive campaign, like one of my kids that I was teaching at school, this kid, Brendan, in year, um, year 10, comes up, I was on playground duty or something. He's like, oh, I heard you're raising money for a new car. I'm a swimmer. I love this idea of using what's in your hands. Send so, a photo of him on the website. Yeah, legend. He swam 10Ks, did he? Swam 10Ks, yeah. 400 laps of a 25-minute pool down at Unendera McKinnon's. And uh, oh, yeah. Susie and the legends down there, like, just let us use a lane. We thought, let's just Facebook live stream this yeah. and celebrate Brennan and his, and his bravery. And I think, yeah, he raised like eight grand Amazing. on his own. And, and again, I think certainly it has to be an important cause. It has to be legit. And I think the fact that donors knew 100% of the money was going there helped. But people were giving to his bravery. It was his aunties and his friends at school and teachers. Yeah. And, you know, so, so I think... Um, and then obviously to then connect those generous donors that gave to Brennan's um, campaign and say, here's the car and here's the families that it's serving... People then might go, okay, I gave the first time to Brendan, you know, through Brendan's and Forever Projects, but this time I'm in love with the cause now. I'll, yeah. I'll start giving to that instead. They create a connection with it. Mm. So I think understanding, um, yeah, I guess pe- people's motivation and, and, and I guess having empathy for people that our attention is so sought after by everyone. Um, like CF's a massively important part of 
your life journey and, and for us Tanzania is, but that's not everyone else's story. Yeah. So how do you see the world from their perspective yeah. and go, how do I tell you a story that resonates with where you're at, not where yeah. I'm at? Hmm. That's probably what works with marathon because not everyone would run a marathon, right? Exactly. So people go, yeah. I probably wouldn't do that, so yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah, so and, and totally too. I think like if you'd said, all right, I care about CF, I'm going to run to Maccas from here. Yeah, everyone no. goes, yeah. Because going back to the story, the obstacle isn't hard enough. Yeah. Um, or if you were already an ultra marathon runner and said, I'll do a 42K, it's, it's got to be It's got to be bigger stretch. than what you, you're capable of in mm. the current, yeah. in the present. Yeah. So you've got the six kids at home. Mm-hmm. How old are they all now? Yeah, so we've got our um, eldest is 14. Yeah. We've got four 11-year-olds and a six-year-old. So our adopted children, are, they've got, we've got twins who have just turned 11 and their older brother. Yeah. Who's about to be 12. Um, and our biological middle daughter is also about to be 12. So yeah. there's this funny period of two months in the year where four 11-year-olds, same age. Yeah. <laughs> Talk um, to me about how much they understand what mum and dad do and the impact that they're having. Yeah, I think that they, I mean, from, from a young age, they've, they've seen us, um, you know, we, we always, if we go as a fundraiser, we'll, we'll go there with them and, um, and, and they, they see the impact that their and our stories having on, on kids in, in Tanzania. Um, and so there's a real sense of pride for all six of them. Can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's a beautiful thing for them to, to see their friends and relatives and people who really care about their country. And like when we lived over there, like we had friends and family that would come and visit um, and, you know, we'd travel around with them. And so they, there's a real sense of pride for them in that. Um, we, got, we got the opportunity to last year all go back as a family. I was going to ask that, time. yeah. So yeah, we moved back end of 2013 and then all eight of us went you know, mid, mid 2019. We're so glad we went. It's been a plane trip, right? Oh, mate 40 hours in a plane yeah. with six kids yeah so um yeah but that 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 six weeks was just so special to be able to reconnect with our friends and um the people that we care about and then and connect back with the baby home that our kids are from and uh yeah really special to to help them reconnect with that part of their story yeah. is there something that every time you go back to tanzania is there something that you do are there, there are those little anchors of your day there that you like to go and have a part of your journey whilst you're there. Yeah. Just to reflect on when you come home. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's key, I think in every story, like there's key places or key settings. And so, yeah, there's this beautiful, um, there's this old railway station that stopped being used and um, right on the southern slopes of Mount Kilimanjaro. So you can see the sunset with Kili in the background and, and everyone walks home across the train tracks to, to work, all the yeah. Tanzanian, Tanzanian um, families and um, and workers and, and someone had the great idea of turning the station master's office into a bar so oh, you can yeah. sit out on the platform and these you know tacky coca-cola plastic chairs that you'd see in yeah in, uh, in a country like that and just have a cold beer and and, um, and just engage with people and just watch life happen um places like that are just special and you know look i love the bars and cafes and stuff we have here with the fit outs and so on but you, you couldn't it's different isn't oh, it it's, it's it's phenomenal yep and so places like that are really special because they they take you back to a feeling that you had when you were there last yeah Yeah, of course yeah how's 2020 affected the work that you guys do yeah we we were as i said we've got that core community so starting in tanzania um they were really apprehensive obviously as the whole world was as to what what's this going to look like um as it spreads and so um, the local teams did an amazing job at trying to make sure they mitigated 
for that. So social distancing, like every every Tuesday, the women in the project meet as a group for training, yeah. and then their children are weighed to just make sure progress is being monitored. But you know, there's no social distancing happening there. So they they changed it up so that the families were coming one at a time, um, and the team will go out to them in the community and visit. They made sure that they had extra. Um, supplies for their business, extra inventory, so that the businesses wouldn't fail. Um, yeah, yeah, but um, mitigating, I guess, to make sure that what what they could do within their power, they did. Uh, but the way it's unfolded has actually been interesting. So, like, as soon as the first case happened in Tanzania, the government said, "Let's um, close down schools and let's lock down and, and knuckle yeah. down." Um, and in a country like that, very quickly the economic impact of people not being able to go to do their job you know there's no social yeah. security or sick leave or whatever if you if you can't go and sell bananas at your market you no don't money make money in. yeah and so very quickly it's not COVID that's the problem or maybe having COVID but it's not being able to feed your kid yeah um so after a period of time they reopened um but fortunately uh, and, and in some countries like that the, the the numbers the transparency on the numbers of cases, like they don't even have the capacity to test. Yeah, um, of course. And so it's it's really hard to know exactly what's going on. Um, but contacts that uh, Amy and the team have there in, in, in hospitals have said, yeah, we're seeing cases present of COVID, but not to the extent that we would have thought. Not certainly what we've seen, say, in Brazil or in Latin America. Yeah. So people start to speculate as to why that is. I mean, we know in Australia it's the elderly population, and in the West it's contracted yeah. COVID, and sadly a number of like that that proportion to population there is um, through low life expectancy not a high frequency of the population but it's not yeah. as many old people um, people spend way more time outdoors so there's yeah. not that transmission that we might get yeah, by being touching inside. services and yeah um, and then who knows like the, the, the immunity that people have built up over time like to get to five years old you're already very resilient within your body uh, to have gotten to that age um, so whether there's something in that that then can fight against contracting COVID. People are starting to, scientists are already starting to like look into that and try and work out what that is. So that's been fortunate um, from that perspective. But from our perspective here, I guess we've just wanted to make sure the teams um, can put two eyes on the work and not have to go, all right, are we going to have enough money to keep going here? So we've just been able to, through our core community who fund our operation costs in Australia, um, just go, all right, how do we continue raising funds these guys but in a way that's more reliable yeah um so i guess two things we've done back end of 2012 three i guess uh first half of 2020 we thought this is an opportunity while the world's chaos we needed to make sure our branding and messaging was sorted um redo our website just like pivot some of our um monthly giving bit of a cleanup so clean that up um ben's done an amazing job the website's great we've um built a an agile team where Ben and I are on um, staff and we've got a team of contractors around yep. us. So legends uh, like videographers and um, social media manager and copywriters that we can engage as we need to. Yep. Uh, but then, just so kind of getting our shop all set up, I guess, yep. ready to go. And then two things we've done since. First was uh, we, we wanted to run our campaign, Watch Your Kilimanjaro. So I've seen in, that. Yeah. That's cool, yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, that, that's a cool story. It started with two years ago, a guy decided to do 20 laps of Sublime Point in a week. It's a mate of ours. And I uh, asked, similar to you, like, say, all right, I care about this cause. Will you back me? Uh, he raised 14 grand and his company, really generous company uh, in, in the Illawarra, backed him. Dollar for dollar. 
So was 20 laps, was that equivalent to Kilimanjaro? Yeah, yeah. And how, what's the elevation and the distance on so that? So 300 metres uh, elevation. So 2300 so being 6,000 oh. and Kili 6,000. Um, and having climbed Kilimanjaro myself, I can tell you Sublime's way steeper. <laughs> okay. Than Kili. Kili's a long hill, takes, takes a week. Yeah. But Sublime's a bit of a pinch. So, um, what's the yeah. distance on that? It's a K up and back, so it's like a marathon every week. So two Ks every up and down. Yeah. So, so he did that in 2018. Um, 2019, he was one of the friends that came and joined us in uh, 2019 in Tanzania. And so cool to see him connected with the impact of that 28 grand, yeah, 14 definitely. from his you know, network and 14 from his company. And that enabled six new team members in, yeah. in, the, in the staff team in Tanzania. And then he's like, people want to do this with me. Let's just invite other people to do it. So 2019, Tin Ostimir, obviously. Yeah. He called it Ostimanjaro. Yeah. And we uh, invited a ton of people to climb with him. And um, we raised 158 grand. Amazing. And again, his company was very generous in backing that in a big way. Um, and then that's we, that's huge oh, money. That's huge impact, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, massive. That and goes such a, especially in those communities. Oh, and it's it's just been so fortuitous at the you know had we known 2020 what it was to have that raised at the, yeah. at the front end of it. Um, Do you shed some tears massive. after that? Oh, just. Um, Really seeing with Andrew, like, and, and then the community, mm. yeah, just really one of those moments. One of those moments where you've just got to pause and take yeah. it in, and yeah, got got pretty emotional. It's funny. Yeah. I said to, I said to people leading up to um to our event, I said, I don't think I'm that much of an emotional guy, but I feel <laughs> like I will be. I think I've convinced myself that I'm actually quite an emotional guy. Yeah. Because I don't think I've ever cried so much in my life. But it's just that it feels good, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. It's it's a feeling that no paycheck. Yeah. Or no personal achievement can ever give you. It's yeah. just that feeling of doing something more. Yeah. yeah. So I, I love it. I yeah. love it. Look, yeah. I, yeah. I think every great story has a great leader behind it. And you seem like an amazing leader. The way you lead your pack, the way you lead your tribe, the way that you're leading and influence and, and growing this. And mm. you're having huge impact. I love it. What are the anchors for you in your life that allow you to be at the top of your game? Because mm. I feel like it's more than just forever projects it's mm. you know if your life isn't aligned yeah and you're not on the top of your game you yeah. know that doesn't get the attention it deserves yeah 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 i think i think self-awareness is really important so uh continuing to grow personally um so so i, I come from a like a christian background um, yeah and it's been this has been a really amazing opportunity to um, do work that reflects those values but certainly not make it exclusive yeah. to anyone who's of that worldview and but it doesn't matter the way you see the world from a religious perspective it's do you see the world in that there's women and children that need a hand up and you want to be part of it you know so so i think um having having something that is consistent with my worldview in that way um you know a big part of that for me is you know the idea that can you know can you hear the cry of the marginalized in the world and if, yeah. if you can and if you can get alongside them and having heard that cry try and bear that with them um, not in a egotistical way or anything else, but just in a way that's just shared humanity then so I, th I think yeah that that's been really important in the hard times to to go this is really deeply connected to my why as a as a yeah. as a man um and then just without a, a rock solid you know relationship with my wife anna and and our kids and making sure that's and, and i haven't done this perfectly at all but making sure that's got to be the the priority when you can see things getting out of balance, coming back together, right, reflecting. Back in and... um, 
yeah, keeping the main thing the main thing in that way. Yeah, I think, but but that but probably those pieces, and then just self awareness and continuing to grow as a person and and, and thinking, um, yeah, this this is a contribution and an act of service to something bigger than me. This isn't about me. And so what is this mission? What does it need of me? Rather than what do I need to take from it? Yeah. Um, just puts it in good perspective. Yeah. It's funny. I had a message from a, a mate on Saturday night and he said, I hate to ask you this question because you've just done so well and you've achieved so much, but I know you're driven. So what's next? Yeah. And I wanted to ask that question, yeah. but I feel like you're doing so many amazing things. It doesn't mm. necessarily need to be a next. Mm. But oh, is, there, there. is there another chapter that's yeah. ready to be written? Yeah, I think, and I think 2020 has um, surfaced what it needed to be. So, you know, we've, we've shared, we've had some successful fundraising campaigns and we, we ran that Watch Your Kilimanjaro in, in October and that's been a huge success. But when we're, again, thinking about this from the teams in Tanzania, what they need as they've grown their project is not just increasing funds, but increasingly reliable funds. So for us to be able to say, all right, next October, 2021, we're going to do it again. Hopefully we can send, you know, something similar versus we've got a crew that are going to send this amount every month like that reliability is really important yeah. for them and so throughout the year we've been thinking how can we invite our community into a next chapter as you just said um, and what does it mean effectively like to subscribe to forever projects you know we subscribe to Netflix or Spotify or it's really the it way is. the world's going isn't it yeah yeah and when you think about subscription it's like I'm gonna show up and give money each month because I'm getting consistent value back um, yeah. the audit subscription look like and the best charities in the world are really thinking about this so with our new video we've set a, a vision to go how do we um by the end of 2021 how can we have a thousand people who will subscribe to forever projects given 10 a month 20 a month whatever it might be whatever's in their hands um and if we can get a thousand then we know based on what people are currently given uh, that'll completely fund the four teams in tanzania at Amazing. the current levels and so then when we do future campaigns like Watch Your Kilimanjaro, it will be to expand their work, not to fund it okay. at current levels. And it just really helps them to go, okay, we've got a reliable runway of funds coming in. Um, people who believe in what we're doing, people who are connected yeah. to, our, to the impact. So for us, 2021 is all about, the next chapter is all about inviting people to um, consider joining, to subscribing to Hope in that way. And uh, we're gonna obsess over building this community uh, in the next 12 months and, and, and beyond and um, treat them like, you know, like impact investors that they are. Like, you know, yeah. Bill Gates gets to give billions of dollars away and then gets these amazing reports and chance to see the work up close and lots of stuff. So what's that look like for your kid that works at Macca's who's a 16-year-old giving you 10 a month? Like, yeah. how can we treat them with that same dignity yeah. about how powerful they are as a generous person in, a, in a, being one of many? So, um, so if you're listening to this now, you're watching this on YouTube, thank you if you are, and you love the idea of that being a part of this and subscribing to mm -hmm. Forever Projects, what does that subscription look like? Is it a one-size-fits-all approach where it's a certain subscription fee that's consistent across the board, or are there levels of subscription that some people can give more and yeah. some give a more minimal amount? What yeah, does it look like? It's what's in your hands. Okay. So uh, as you've just talked about with your marathon like it if it stretches us it actually makes us better so you know if you can afford to, to give 10 a month don't give 20 but don't give five 
gifted, yeah. like just stretch yourself a bit. Yeah. Um, but, but but believe that because you're showing up generously with what you've got, there's going to be a ton of others who are doing the same. But you're a very powerful community together. I mean, the the, the amazing value we get from it the shows on Netflix or the amazing music on Spotify is because not just there's 10 subscribers, but because there's like, I don't know how many million. Yeah. Um, and it's the same principle with a, with a community that's been generous. Like the, the power of that value yeah. increases exponentially with the number of people on board. So if, yeah, if you're listening and you're keen, um, there's a video that um, we've just created that really yeah, takes, back, takes us back through our story and um, invites people into that next chapter. Yeah. We'll throw the link to that video in the show awesome. description as well. Yeah, cool. Biggest lesson you've learned throughout all of this? Oh, biggest lesson. I think, I think to trust, like if, if we see change that we're passionate about and we want to make, trust the process of do the next best thing, have some self-compassion, you're going to make a mess of stuff. Um, learn from it, listen to feedback, don't have ego. You know, like ask people who you care about and who care about you, what did I get right? What could I have done better? Take it on. Repeat. And just keep feedback's important, isn't it? Yeah, and just keep just keep doing that and just trust that over time. Um, like you said with the with the training for the marathon, like, you know, within a couple of weeks you go, man. And if you can repeat that cycle as often as possible, and that's that's true of you know, I've got to go be much fitter in twenty twenty one. I've got myself a rowing machine. Nice. In there this morning bashing it out. How good. Um, but that'll be true of that. It's true of like my relationship with my kids, with my wife, with my friends forever projects anything it's it's where are we going what's the next best thing let's let's have a go and then you know we're not going to get it right but we're going to get closer i think that's that's been my main lesson i've tried to keep bringing into what we're doing it's great to hear Mm. do you think you'll always be hands-on with this will there be a time where you ever step back a little bit and allow what you've built to to work and, and function as you build it and set it up? Mm. Or do you feel like you'll always need, are you one of those people that always needs to have some form of control? I'm a bit yeah. of a control freak. Yeah. I struggle to step back away from things. Yeah. What do you feel like your future looks like within this? Yeah, I think like if you zoom out with time, like this, this is a problem that's not going to be solved in 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. So, uh, and, and you know, I'm 40 in January. So like starting this thing a little later in my life, um, it needs to be with the intent of how can it be something that can be gifted forward to yeah. other people to continue to be involved with so I actually just had a Zoom call this morning with a guy who a friend recommended who I've just been again just sharing his are up to and, um, and he's given some great advice on how do you yeah be involved um, but what's it look like to be involved at a higher altitude over time Yeah. so that you can yeah I think my role really is to have a clear vision of where this is going, yeah. um, to identify what team we need here and, and to try and build that team and identify who those amazing humans are to make sure they're resourced and they've got the funds they need, get out of their way, and then be thinking who who can do this better than me and then maybe I'll do myself a better job. <laughs> um, but just keep, keep thinking about what are the things that someone I can serve there could do better than me and how do I transition to that so that you're increasingly... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and all you're doing then in the end is just being this conduit of talent and purposeful people into a cause that's going somewhere. Yeah. Have you been able to keep a running tally of the families that have been positively impacted by this? Yeah. So we just passed a huge milestone. It's a uh, thousand families, well, a thousand, uh, thousand babies, thousand seven 
it's just just happened in um nice that's month. incredible mate congratulations oh, and and again that's all the local teams um yeah that's across four cities but to have been a contribution and being part of that um it's it's such a privilege and going back to that day where we walk out of the baby home with our three children and see 57 others to know that like for example when we were back last year um there were the numbers were low 20s so they've gone from 65 yeah. kids in the baby home to like 25 yeah um and there's consistently less than half the kids in the baby home in the orphanage that there were before so knowing that you know you're seeing lasting impact it's um it's it's such a privilege to be part of a, a global team that's um that's doing that where each person's just able to niche into what they're good at what's in their hands and um and together you know we're one of our guys in our community nick says um together we're more powerful than we are alone and the one thing that i can do is, is nothing compared to what we can do i mean look at you two you know yeah great combo definitely and uh all great change involves amazing squads of just people with different gifts and stuff. Mm. 100%. I, mm. I said it so many times on Saturday, stronger is one. Yes. There were plenty of times there was a hand on my back or one of the boys giving me a tap on the ass to say, keep on going. <laughs> yeah. And you need it. Yeah. You need it. Because yeah. as strong as you, you are and as great as a leader you are, mm. you're not always on. Mm. Yeah. You're not always on. And sometimes it gets a little bit too much. Yeah. And sometimes it's a little bit too big of a task at hand. Yeah. But the people around us are what keep us going, yeah. what make us stronger. 100%. Would you have any message for maybe the families who are sitting at home listening to this, mm. who not only want to be involved in forever projects, but maybe even just considering adoption? Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, I mean, in Australia, there's 50,000 kids uh, who don't have permanent homes, so they're in out-of-care situations, whether it's foster care or some kind of, yeah, um, high care facility so I, I would say um, I mean it, since we adopted the, the laws have changed internationally quite a lot where yeah. even in that short space of time it's it's increasingly hard for international adoption to happen okay. so I'd probably say if it, it was thinking about caring for children who don't have a family I think um, just based on the way that the, the laws are now um, certainly locally would be where you'd look and there's so many kids that, that have a need um, here uh, but but I, but again, I think going back full circle that we talked about with like what's the systemic solution that would stop these kids ending up in this situation? Yeah. There's, there's there's certainly aspects of that that's happening in Australia that mm. and the amazing organisations to partner with there. But I think um, if there's families listening that want to be a contribution to that problem in Tanzania, then you know that we are one of many ways that you can be part of that. You know? Amazing. Um, a, yeah, made them wind up in. Mitagong, his, his girls, uh, they're like chickens and yeah. chickens lay eggs and she goes and sells the eggs and, uh, and, and she's decided she's going to become a subscriber by selling the eggs. How good is that? And some of the profits from that will go to us. And so that, that's a beautiful thing for that family to be able to, you know, each month they get the update with what the team's doing in Tanzania and, and women's lives that have changed and she's going to grow up knowing, you know, think about identity and how important that is for kids. The story she's going to tell herself is, I'm a, I'm a person that uses what I've got and sure, I like you know, can't buy lolly from the shop, or whatever else. But I'm contributing to something bigger than myself. Empowering others. And she's like she's building muscles that you know, are massively important. That that muscle of heart and generosity. So that there's a huge opportunity. We love seeing families, whole families, um, get on board in that way and seeing them collect like care about it together. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing to hear. Mm. Any final messages for the listeners, the watchers? Oh, we. Uh, I, 
we've talked all about story. So I think maybe, um, you know, end of 2020, so much stuff has surfaced. I think just we often take time over this period to reflect on, you know, the story we're in and what we care about. So just maybe ask yourself, like, what story are you in? What do you want? What are your obstacles? Are those obstacles challenging enough? You know, sometimes we can, we're throwing obstacles as you were, mate, with CF. Yeah. Um, but other times, as you've done, we can throw obstacles on ourselves to make our story that little bit richer. So that could be something to think about. And um, and I think secondly, I just want to say thanks for, for what you're doing. You guys. My are, pleasure. Um, there's, I loved rifling through the, the list of people that you've had on here and seeing some, some names like you know, Simon Grant from Verb. Like, yeah. Uh, Simon was, when we did Yours and Ours Festival, yeah. he was He's he connected us with an amazing street artist named Trait. And so I love that you're creating a platform for these really rich stories in your area to have a bit more depth to them. And, um, Thank you. It's, it's, it's a really cool um, project that you're doing. And the fact that you can finish a marathon in, in that way, like means whatever you need to push through to continue to make yeah. this happen, you're going to do it. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And, mm. you know, like I said at, at the start, we don't take the guests we have on here lightly. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a privilege to be in a position now where we get a lot of people that message and, and want to come on the show. But I've taken real pride in knowing that you know, today's episode 57, that each of those 57 really means something to me. Mm. And that when I sit back and listen to those, I feel content with the fact that we mm. shared that story and that people needed to hear that story. Mm. And I know so many people will benefit from what we've shared here today. So I want to congratulate you on all the amazing work you've done and everyone involved in Forever Projects, everyone within the communities in Tanzania. It's super exciting to see real change mm. on a major scale. Yeah. And I think just on what you said there about story and owning your story, one thing that I learned this year, we all know we've got a story, mm-hmm. but it's up to you to pick up the pen and start writing. Totally. And yep. if you just pick up the pen and pass it around and allow people to write it for you, mm-hmm. you'll find yourself really, really conflicted, mm-hmm. just without purpose and not content with where you're headed in life. So pick up the pen, start writing. It's in your hands, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Donkins, Forever Forever Projects. What an episode. Thanks, mate. Legend. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bradley J Driver Experience. It's always a pleasure to have you guys on board. It's you that keeps this show alive and thriving. And you should head over to our socials to follow the journey to keep updated on what episodes are dropping next.